back and live. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and welcome to Arc City. It is good to be back. Currently, I'm ripping some arcs with the U.S. ski team here in New Zealand, taking advantage of the Southern Hemisphere's winter. Feels really good, and it's getting me psyched for winter back home, which is actually in, I don't know, two months, two and a half months. Now, earlier this summer, I recorded an interview with Sophie Goldschmidt, which is what I've got for you today. The goal of the conversation was to introduce the new president and CEO of U.S. Ski and Snowboard, to ask her how her first season went, and to really dig into the problems in ski racing that she hopes to tackle during her time at the helm of the organization. Now, this isn't the first organization she's held a position in. She has a long, impressive resume. Most recently, she was the CEO of the World Surf League, where she saw a groundbreaking partnership for broadcast rights. Hmm. That's actually a big deal in skiing, too. We'll see where it takes us. Uh, gender prize money equality and ocean conservation efforts. And then before that, she also held a board position with the PGA's European Tour, the NBA's expansion into Europe, and at different times held the chief marketing position at both the Women's Tennis Association and the Rugby Football Union. Now, without further ado, except to remind you to stick around at the end for a little skiing history nugget about the only person to ever medal in three different snow sports. Now, I give you Sophie Goldschmidt. Sophie Goldschmidt, welcome to Arc City. Thank you. Delighted to be joining you. So let's dive right into it. Um, I'm super excited to have you here. We've been talking about this for a little bit, actually, since um, the, the fall when you really uh, took the reins uh, and started working with U.S. Ski and Snowboard. Um, and so first off, how has your whirlwind year-long adventure been in terms of like getting to know the sport of ski racing? Because you were a bit of an outsider to begin with. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. That's a good way of, uh, of framing it. Um, definitely been drinking out the fire hose, but it's been um, brilliant. I, I've loved pretty much every every minute of it. Um, I think I've learned a huge amount, still have a lot to learn, um, but I've really enjoyed just digging into each of our sports, understanding the commonalities and, and differences, um, getting to know uh, all of our different staff, coaches, athletes, other key stakeholders, um, so yeah, it's, it's been a lot, um, but it's been very enjoyable and, uh, yeah, I'm pleased with my first, first six months. Mm -hmm. So one of my goals of this interview is to get people to understand really what exactly you do in the organization, because I think people kind of don't realize that you're in charge of every sport in U.S. ski and snowboard, you know, it's U.S. ski and snowboard. Uh, so there's a lot for you to learn, um, right off the bat. Um, and so we'll get to that a little bit later, but. I, I love talking to people who have just entered the sport of ski racing and really entered the fray because you bring a unique perspective. And I always ask, uh, what is your impression of the sport of ski racing? Like, are there things that don't make any sense? Uh, are there things that you really like about it? Anything? Yeah, there's um, a lot um, that was different to maybe what I was expecting. Um, look, I knew I had a lot to learn. I think that technicality of certain aspects of ski racing have been um, actually really interesting for me to kind of dig into. 
um, whether it's actually kind of the text themselves and the role that they play and the importance of that aspect um, has been, yeah, fascinating to, to really appreciate and um, just how vital that is to achieve success. Um, then the actual technical aspect of, you know, ski racing itself, getting down the mountain faster, turning, et cetera. Um, the bravery, um, both mentally and physically, um, that our athletes go through, um, how they overcome, you know, injuries, um, probably an even bigger part of the sport than, than I realized. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of yeah. injuries that often people are coming back from is, is pretty, pretty incredible. Um, and just the speed and sort of the margins of, of error and success, you know, just being so fine and really having to sort of drive right to the edge to sort of optimize success has been, yeah, really fascinating for me to, to understand. And um, I love the performance side as well as the business side. So kind of getting closer to that um, has mm-hmm. been, yeah, fantastic. That's cool to hear. And, and I, I think it'll, it probably uh, serves you well to have that perspective and bring it into the sport. Um, because I know that uh, some of your goals, I'll let you speak about your goals, um, but I know that something involved in your goals is growing of the sport and reaching a bigger audience. And, and I think if you have that perspective of someone who says, I didn't know ski racing, now I do, this is why it's cool. Um, <clears throat> so w- yeah. with that said, um, uh, what do you see as your role here and what are your goals? Um, and then I'll tag on a, a final question to that, which is how long do you plan to stay? Yeah. So look, I think the role I have is multifaceted. I sort of split it simplistically into two areas. There's the performance sports side, and then there's the more business kind of operational um, side. And and the performance side from a snow sports perspective is, is newer to me. While I've worked in sports my whole career with many of the world's top athletes, teams and, and brands. So I'm very familiar to, to the, the space. Um, but I haven't directly managed the performance side. So when I say I'm getting close to the different aspects and really having a much better appreciation, I think that's vital for me to do this role as well as I can. Having said that, people don't need to be worried. I'm not going to get involved with managing sort of the performance side at a granular level mm-hmm. day in, day out. You know, we've got experts and we've made a few changes and brought in some new support to make sure that we really can further elevate Um, the performance side of of the organization. Um, But it's obviously really important and ultimately creating the right environment and a clear direction and strategy um, I see as my goal um, for both the sport and and the business side. And I think those ultimately need to be very aligned. One definitely helps the other. Um, Ultimately, you know, the more revenue we're generating, the better that we can service our stakeholders the more initiatives and programs we can invest in, which ultimately will lead to more success, which then helps generate more revenue and interest. So to me, it really is a very sort of virtuous circle. And um, as an organization, I think it's really important that we continue to be more inclusive. Um, I'm as ambitious as anyone. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I love sort of the best in the world um, uh, sort of vision that we've had. Um, but I think we're much, much more than that. Um, I think we're about engaging 
um, and celebrating snow sports more broadly. Um, because again, the more people we have participating and engaged in our sports, the better talent we're going to have in the pipeline, which ultimately will mean that we have a better chance of being successful. Um, so um, for me, I, I'm really keen to make sure that everyone that has any kind of interest and connection with our sports can feel connected to US ski and snowboard our athletes and, and our organization. And I think there's there's room to, to do better on, on that front. Um, so at a very top line strategic level to really inspire um, our snow sports community is, is a key mm -hmm. objective to me for me. And I know we'll come on sort of the marketing and content goals later on. Um, but if I say that's sort of the top line um, vision and mission, which again is just building on what we already have. For mm -hmm. me, there are sort of three key strategic priorities as we look ahead to next season. Um, the first is achieving athletic and operational excellence. So both okay. on snow and off snow, um, making sure that we have the right talent and capability in both areas to really drive um, growth and, and even greater success. Um, to better achieve our business goals, which ultimately help make sure that we can achieve our athletic goals and best serve the athletes. Both I mean, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of the athletic goals also serve business goals because exactly. you're bringing in the sponsorship money there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And just that excellence mindset. I think we've got an opportunity to not just do so much of the same. You don't ever change for change's sake, but I think we're in a very competitive sector, both on the business and sports side. And so if we're not evolving and upping our game, then we're kind of going backwards. So I think, you know, the bar needs to keep rising and making sure that people really understand that expectation and standard is really important. So that would be sort of the first, first area, athletic and operational excellence. The second um, sort of priority for me is based on growing the visibility of our sports. Um, and to me, that includes, you know, our athletes, sports and the organization, really being better business partners, promotional partners to all of those um, so that we can grow the awareness and profile of our athletes and sports. I think yes. that's incredibly important. Our athletes deserve it. We owe it to them. And again, ultimately, that kind of just fuels the engine, which drives more engagement, more commercial interest, and ultimately drives more revenue because we are a not-for-profit that goes back into, back into our sports. But I think that that marketing profile building um, element uh, is really, really important for our organization. I've hired a CMO so that we've brought more leadership experience in. Was there not a, a chief marketing officer that? before? There hasn't been for a couple of years. So we've okay. had a little bit of a, a gap. So I've hired um, a great uh, guy called Guy Slattery, um, who's got a very impressive background, um, very heavy in, heavy in the media content space, but has been CMO for the likes of Vice, um, National Geographic, A&E, so a real heavy, heavyweight, but incredibly passionate um, about our sports. Um, those alpine skiers out there don't hold it against him. He is a snowboarder, um, uh. but loves a little of our sports. Um, and it's just bringing a new perspective and a different kind of creative thinking. Already he's pushing us to think out the box. You know, we need to punch out above our weight and think out the box if we want to really move the needle and become more well-known because the stories we have to tell um and yeah, some incredible stories athletic feats that our, yeah. our athletes are doing are very compelling 
Um, so hence, second sort of priority is in that marketing area. And the third one, and I've talked quite a lot about revenue already, is to grow revenue and be in an even better position financially. Um, and huge credit, you know, to uh, the sales team and especially the foundation team. We've seen some really impressive growth, even you know, given the very difficult COVID times. Um, but I have ambitions to really hopefully take our revenue to a whole a whole new level. Um, and we need to get more creative. We need to deliver more assets. Um, but ultimately, that means we can fund more athletes and more programs. And that's that's what we're here here to do. So having me even more of a kind of specific focus on on driving revenue and commercial value so that we can um, invest more back um, is also another priority. So those are kind of the three areas that I'm focused on going into next season. Okay, cool. So just for the for the listeners to kind of uh, summarize that and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, we're looking at number one, um, excellence in the administration and in the actual athletics um, to marketing, growing the sport, inspiring, and uh, three, growing revenue, uh, whether through the foundation or otherwise. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So especially otherwise commercial partners, I don't want to have to be so dependent on our foundation yep. trustees who are incredibly generous. And look, I, I hope that we can inspire them to also donate more to us. But I think on the commercial sort of partnership side, I think I think we've got some real opportunities. And CAP is an example of that. You know, that's by far the, the biggest new, deal this organization yep. has has ever done. Um, so yeah. I think um, that's hopefully going to create some some good momentum going forward. Yeah, the the Kappa deal, we, we can talk about that just for a short 20 seconds. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Kappa is an is a, um, outerwear brand that is going to uh, outfit all, um, every sport of US ski and snowboard. And I, and there was, it ends the, the 30 year partnership with spider with the Alpine ski team. And I know there's uh, plenty of people that were bummed. Oh, you know, the, the American, uh, brand is spider. Um, and I, so for those out there who are, who are bummed that spider is no longer the outfitter, um, can you just give some words, uh, yeah, look, about what, what the Kappa deal was worth? Yeah, Spider's been an amazing partner, first of all, to acknowledge that. I mean, what a run, um, you know, almost three decades um, and have served us so well. Um, but um, they've been through some challenges and a, 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 um, moving in a different direction. And it was the right time for us um, as well. And we were fortunate to have a great opportunity with Kappa. Um, they are uh, originally Italian, but they're a global brand um, that has sponsored, you know, some of the biggest teams and athletes in the world. They have a heritage in snow sports. They've been uh, the official partner of the Italian team um, for a while. Um, judging by how their women's speed team are doing, I'm quite excited that we're going to be using their speed suits. <laughs> um, and uh, they were really excited to, to partner with us. They've got um, big ambitions as well. Um, I love the fact they cross over into lifestyle. You know, they definitely have a performance heritage actually with the US. So they sponsored the US track and field team back around the 84 Olympics for about 10 years when Carl Lewis was breaking all the okay. records and um, the US was doing very well. So there, there is a real tradition and heritage of them supporting you know, top class US teams. Um, but they're going to bring um, sort of a fashion and lifestyle element to our organization as well, which I think is really appealing when we talk about more marketing and broadening our, our profile. You know, one of the really unique aspects to our sports is that they transcend into lifestyle, I think, better than any sports out there. So this is an opportunity for us to lean into that. Um, but first and foremost, they are a performance brand and I know they're going to 
produce great products for, for our athletes. So yeah, thrilled to be working with them. It's a long commitment, 10 plus year deal. Mm-hmm. So they're really investing in a significant way. Um, and look, it's a very important category. I mean, it's what, you know, you, our athletes are wearing day in, day out. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've got to get it, get it right. But yeah, I'm really, really excited about the relationship. Okay. Good to hear. Well, now, as we, as we talk about uh, your transition to the, the reins of the U.S. Ski and Snowboard, we, we also have to acknowledge uh, those that came before you. Tiger Shaw spent eight years running ski, <coughs> excuse me, U.S. Ski and Snowboard. And yeah. uh, he, there were a number of things that were, that were top priority on his list. Um, you know, the athlete project um, thing came through and he started to put more of an emphasis on athletes' opinions. Um, and one of those uh, issues that athletes always had with the team was funding. And, and one of the victories that Tiger had was that, uh, he, he funded more and more and more, um, lower, lower levels of the team. Um, so it, have you talked to Tiger and, um, are there certain aspects of his leadership that you want to continue on? Yeah. So Tiger, um, has been a great support and, and resource actually since before I started, I remember, um, the day I got offered the job and accepted it, he was the first call, um, which was pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never actually had such a smooth transition with a predecessor as I've had with Tiger. So I'm very thankful um, for that. Um, like I mentioned already, he clearly did a lot of great things for this organization. And in many areas, we're in a really good place. And, you know, you noted one of the um, more significant, I think, achievements was the increase in athlete funding. Um, which I know was huge for many athletes and teams. And hopefully we can just further progress that and fund even more across all of our sports. But um, yeah, he was clearly very committed um, culturally, um, really lent into our values and made sure that we were being better listeners, partners, collaborators um, with our athletes and other, other stakeholders. Um, so yeah, I have the utmost respect for, for Tiger and, Early on, when I started, we were talking a, a lot, less so recently, because I, I guess, learned a little bit more and got more people around. But he's he's always there if ever I need him um, for advice or, or support. And um, yeah, excited about his new role as well. I know he he's busy with his next adventure. Um, but no, I, I think the organization is very fortunate to have had him as a leader for so long. And uh, yeah, he's certainly been uh, very supportive of me today. That's good to hear. Um, well, we've, we've only got a, you know, maybe 10 minutes left and, and the, uh, topics I have for us to, for the remainder of, of our, our time together, um, you could spend hours and hours talking about, I've certainly spent hours talking about them. I've hit these topics on my podcast plenty of times. Um, what I see, or I've come across with, with people who are looking to improve ski racing are kind of three big problems basically is. Um, number one is cost and, and, you know, that's important in growing the sport as well, because, and, 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 um, increasing diversity, because if the sport's not accessible, um, especially as you start to get to higher levels, especially if, as you get to the, uh, you know, U 14, U 16 level, uh, maintaining athletes in the sport is, is tough, uh, let alone just getting them in the first place. Uh, the second one would be, uh, you know, the Americans performance, everyone wants to see the Americans do better. And and that's definitely something um, that you're aware of. And, and you talked about how you want to increase performance um, on the team, obviously. And then the third, you also mentioned, which was 
um, marketing and content as a really important way to inspire young athletes and to grow the sport. Um, and so I, you know, I, we've got so much to cover, but is there, is there anything that jumps out at you that you'd love to talk about a bit more? Yeah, look, I think that we can use a little bit extra time. Why don't we try and cover um, all of those topics, at least okay. line, and then hopefully there's another chance to have um, chapter two, discussion two, uh, yeah. in the next few months as well. But um, yeah, why don't I start off with the cost? Because it's definitely yeah. something that comes up um, quite a lot. Um, and it is you know, an issue uh, for attracting and retaining athletic ta- talent. And we need to do more and continue to work really hard to, to find ways to keep those costs down. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people that are involved in something like that. Actually, the US Ski and Snowboard Organization has relatively you know, little control over a lot of the d- direct costs. But hopefully, as we grow more revenue, we can subsidize and invest in more programs to make it more affordable. Um, but whether it's our resort partners um, or others that ultimately, you know, operate the resorts and the mountains and um, it's a business for them while they are quite philanthropic to us in various ways and support us in um, different initiatives. Um, it's yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. There's not tickets are still expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. And by the way, not just in, in the US. Um, and we also have to remember, compared to other countries, we don't have government funding. Um, you know, in some of these top European nations, it's significant. It's a third, even half of their, their support comes from the government. We don't have any of that. Um, so we are really reliant on the support of our sponsors and, and donors, resort partners who commit a lot. I mean, these new couple of Alpine events that we've just added on the men's side in Aspen and um, Palisades, right. we're super yeah. excited about. Without um, significant contributions for our res- from our resort partners in Aspen and Altera, which owns Palisades, they wouldn't be happening. Um, so it really is kind of a joint effort, but we are supporting more athletes than ever before. So despite these significant costs, I think our support is definitely heading in the right direction. Um, and we need to just continue to collaborate and work with all the different um, stakeholders that actually impact um, what it's going to cost. Um, the other thing I would say is we're not the only sport that is quite expensive. You know, having worked across a bunch of different sports to compete at the elite level is expensive in a, in a lot of sports. You know, some sports are even more global than us when you think of maybe tennis or golf or um, some of some of these others um, you know to be an elite athlete um, often does take a lot of investment I'm not saying that's right but it is kind of a practical reality and I wouldn't want to say that we're the only ones that are struggling with this this challenge but it's something I'm really committed to hopefully making you know significant progress against but it's going to is it going to take a team a team effort um, and hopefully some further subsidizing from our side as we as we generate more revenue. Do you mind if I jump in? Um, the uh, the question someone asked me recently that I've been struggling with is, they said, is there truly a good reason or even a good way to slow down the quote unquote arms race amongst parents of young athletes who uh, younger and younger are spending more and more time training, spending money on, on, on coaches and, and technicians, um, at, at really young ages. And, and then other parents see this and, and the arms race accelerates. And I don't know if you have thought about if there's a, some sort of way to slow that down. Um, or if admitting defeat just means that you have athletes that 
or there's more athletes in the American pipeline with more training? It's, it's a difficult question. I think there are um, things that we can do structurally to help the arms race, as you call it. You know, a couple of things that come up are just the, the chasing of fist points. And does that need to start at such a young age? And does that need to be such a significant kind of criteria early on? Because if you didn't have to chase points, then in theory, you wouldn't have to travel so much. The other thing is when you are traveling, could we strategically create a calendar that would allow athletes to compete regionally for longer without having to travel overseas so much? And I think yep. those are things that we can directly impact. Again, working with our stakeholders, the clubs, the academies, I actually had a fascinating discussion with a lot of the top academies and clubs in the East when I went to the Alpine Nationals and had a couple of round table sessions and they were all very aligned. They're actually kind of help us help ourselves because until okay. you know, we don't have to chase for fist points, because that's what the parents want to get the kids into these academies. Um, it's really hard for us to change it. But if you said, for example, I'm saying, you know, no fist points before under 14 or even under 16, then it would mean that we weren't traveling to all these events and it wouldn't be so costly. You, at such you mean no, no ussa points before those ages correct yeah correct. Okay. well and the certain levels this points become you know important to more under 16 yeah. obviously not as young as under 14 and then could we structure it that there are enough meaningful events regionally and encourage people to compete regionally um because ultimately that's also a great performance dynamic you know it's one of the things that i think is a hindrance to us compared to Europe, where these countries are much smaller. So to get the top skiers together regularly, you know, is a two or three hour drive. In America, it can be a five or six hour flight. And the more the best can train with each other and the next generation can see and feel and be part of that, the, the better. And for us, it's hard because we're very, very spread out. So sorry, rather long winded answer. But I think there are some non-financial things that we can do just structurally to potentially help keep the cost down, especially at the early ages. Okay. It's good to hear. I, I, I really love those ideas. And it's something actually on my most recent episode, I talked with River Adamus about this and, and he was very passionate about this sort of solution. Um, so yeah. it seems His like- His father is as well. He, he's yeah. actually been very helpful in sort of educating me with some of this, this thinking. He's, uh, he's given a, little, a lot of thought and has some great insight. Okay. That's cool to hear. Well, let's move on to my, my second uh topic which uh which is the the lack of medals at the olympics and which i personally don't see as as big of an issue as other people you know michaela could have just as easily swept the events with four medals and we'd be looking at one of our better american performances in recent years um but as you said earlier um you're always trying to get better so um i don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah so look like i said sort of about our vision and mission, which um, hasn't changed yet. And again, winning will always be at the heart of it. But I think there is a way to make it more inclusive and be about the process and the pipeline and more of a nod to development, because ultimately, the stronger mm -hmm. that is, I believe, the more success you're going to have. Um, I was actually encouraged by a lot of the performances that we had um, throughout the Olympics, both by our top athletes and, and young up and comers. Um, some of those um, were medal worthy, um, others were not. And clearly, you know, we had some disappointments and that, that sport, you know, you go the highs yep. and lows. I mean, for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways, um, you know, covering so many different sports. I mean, the highs and lows literally on an hourly basis, it was like, just as something brilliant was happening, there was something, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not so great happening yeah. elsewhere. And then you suddenly, the 10 minutes later, you're like, whoa. I mean, the, the sort of the adrenaline um, rush was, um, was quite something. 
Um, but look, overall, our, our medal count didn't quite meet our expectations for many reasons, but I'm not here to sort of make excuses. Um, but there were many um, performances that I was incredibly proud of and we should be proud of. And every yeah. athlete gave it their all in some very challenging circumstances, which, again, were the same for everyone, but it affects everyone in, in different ways. Um, I think uh, some of the promising performances for the next generation, I mean, we had... Um, 54% of our team were first-time Olympians. I mean, that's a pretty significant wow. number. Um, we had more top 10 results across our sports than any other nation. So when you look at pipeline and depth, we, we got it. We need to get better yeah. at converting it into sort of podium um, wins and, and hopefully be more dominant there. But I think there are a lot of really positive signs. And that, those are my takeaways. What can we build on? What can we learn from? Um, and I think, you know, we hear about the lack of depth and I just don't think that that's accurate. Look, we've got several world-class athletes who are already there. And you look at the athletes that are breaking through and on the periphery. I mean, you mentioned River just now. You know, he clearly had a fantastic season. Luke Winters also some really promising results as he um, went through the season. Paul and Maltzen. Nina was doing brilliantly before her horrific injury, which was really unfortunate timing for that women's team. You know, early on in the Olympics, they were all there. I was there watching it happen at the end of the race. You know, that for sure had an impact on everyone, yeah. which is horrible to see. And then look at some of these up and comers. I mean, Ava Jemison, um, Isaiah uh, had amazing junior world championships. We had our best junior world championships in years across all of our, our sports. So that's a pretty good indicator. Um, Bella Wright had some promising performances, now coming back strongly from injury. Eric Arvidsson, Jet Seymour, Ben Ritchie, Bridget Giles beginning to really break through. Keely and AJ now have had a couple of years on, on the World Cup circuit. So um, and I've forgotten a few, so I apologize to those that. Yeah, um, I'll be, I'll been, be there. But... I'll be there in a few years. Don't exactly. Yeah. So you're, you're going to be right on that list as well. So, you know, that's a lot of names to be talking about. So I think the future looks bright, but we got to keep upping our game. Look, these other nations are, are getting better as, as well. So um, there's a lot of hard work ahead, but I'm, I'm really pleased by the direction and actually the open-mindedness that people have been to um, some of the changes that um, we're making. Um, one of those key changes was bringing back the chief of sport role um, and then look, um, obviously a very strong Alpine um, background, but a real appreciation for all of our um, sports. I think to have more senior leadership that can help manage day to day and provide a clearer direction I think I'm already seeing kind of the benefits um, of that. So, um, yeah. so yeah, look, this is, this is a long road. This is a, a big, steep mountain. Um, but I think we're already beginning to see um, some momentum and, and some, yeah, positive signs with some of the changes and, and more to come. Mm -hmm. and, and that's an important point to make is, is, you know, there wasn't a chief of sport before because Tiger kind of had that role and he knew the sport of ski racing. So, it, it was easy for him to, to take over that role. Now with, with you being hired and, and less of um, experience in the sport of ski racing um, or, or just snow sports in general, uh, a nook paddy was a really important hire. It seems like, um, and it, it goes along with uh, earlier. You said we need to keep changing. And I think that, uh, you know, the, so the hiring of a nook paddy um, Patrick Grimmel was hired, um, but a, a a couple of coaches were let go. And one of those was, was Forrest Carey, who was a popular coach on the team. And um, I wonder if you could just give some reassurance to fans of the U S team and also the U S ski team members 
who um, are worried that there's all this change happening and they hope that it's not just for the sake of change, but for actually improving. Yeah. Well, I definitely can reassure folks that it's not for the sake of change and probably a better word for to use is evolving rather than changing. Um, and it's a balance, isn't it? I think um, we have some amazing experience and expertise and that's invaluable. And we need to hang on to that while balancing out with some fresh perspectives and different learnings that can allow us to elevate. You know, one of the observations I've had, which I've been a little bit surprised by is that, and it's not just, by the way, US ski and snowboard. In general, snow sports are quite insular. Um, I'm used to sports looking outside a lot more, looking at what they can learn from other athletes, technology companies, et cetera. Um, and that definitely will never replace sort of the hardcore technical expertise, which is paramount. But to get those marginal gains, I think um, being willing to sort of push the boundaries and, and be creative is really important. So for me, I think as a leader, it's about finding that, that balance. But to reassure everyone, I value experience um, as much as anyone. Um, mm -hmm. And look, when hiring um, new people and adding new roles, so a Nook's role was a new role. And to, to justify and be able to afford that, you have to make some savings. You know, not everything is just additive. We have, unfortunately, finite resources hopefully that budget's going to be growing and you have to make some really tough decisions and um, there were um, positions that I eliminated across every sport in uh, a way that allowed me then to add new capabilities that I thought was really important and and those decisions are not easy um, and they often are not personal but Forrest being an example of that this was nothing to do with Forrest it was a structural change that I felt we needed to make um, to bring in some more leadership across all of our, our sports. And Forrest has clearly given a huge amount to this organization, is very respected. And um, I think, you know, it's ended up being uh, pretty amicable. I've met with him several times and, and I hope he'll continue to be involved in snow sports and maybe in some way with our organization. I know he's going to keep strong relationships with our, with our athletes. Um, but, you know, these evolutions are, are challenging um, and it's about finding that balance. We certainly want to keep the great, experience that we have where it makes sense we want to learn from prior mistakes so also keeping that capability is really important but i think if if we're standing still then you're going backwards in this day and age so i think a nook for example has an appreciation for our sports but is bringing a different type of professionalism and leadership capability that i think will be really really beneficial um, but yeah, to reassure everyone, this isn't just going to be constant change. Um, it's about evolving and improving where we need to and really digging in and supporting and elevating where we're already doing things really well. Okay. And now, uh, as we wrap up, let's hit, um, marketing and content, because I think in this day and age, um, it's my belief that if your social media presence isn't effective and popular, then you're falling behind every other sport um, and every other brand. So do you have any specifics on uh, your goals there or your, um, what you're going to try to do to increase that? Yeah, look, it's uh, an area I'm spending quite a bit of time on. My background, actually, um, sort of my deepest experiences in marketing and sort of business right. development yeah. and commercial sales. So it's something I kind of lean into where hopefully I can add um, more value for sure than getting our uh, races going faster down the mountain. Um, so I'm thrilled to have hired Guy. So day to day, he's overseeing that um, for us. 
Um, but our marketing function is there to support our athletes and our sports. And I want to help our athletes more. There's nothing more important for our organization and growing the profile of our sports than having our athletes become more well-known, whether they will, are going to be household names, probably not, but they are incredibly compelling. They're very articulate. They're very relatable. They're great role models. The content visually that we have to share is awesome. Um, and so I really believe we can help them sort of further elevate their, their brands, if I can put it that way, which ultimately grows our sports, which ultimately is yep. good for our organization. Um, and I think we need to get more creative um, to do that. Um, we need to become better storytellers. At the moment, we all know, and it's not going to change. Content is king across every platform. And like you mentioned, you know, social media now is just such a cost effective way for us all to communicate. And we're all obsessed with it far too much. Um, mm. But it, it's a great tool from a marketing perspective. Um, having said that, you know, linear and traditional channels are also still, you know, really important as well. So we have um, a relationship with NBC that's actually up at the end of uh the summer, so we um, are in discussions with them and others about, you know, where people will be able to watch, you know, our live competitive content. Um, but I'm also really keen to broaden our content offering um, and share these background stories, share the training tips. I mean, it's been fascinating for me to see here. Well, we kind of call it the off season. It's really nice. The, the pre-season people are working their butts off downstairs and it's fascinating. And to, to showcase that and what happens um, on the over the summer, the dry land training, et cetera. Um, yeah, I can't wait, wait to share more of that with, with the world because it, it's really um, compelling. Um, another key sort of strategic shift for me is just being better partners for others that are doing really cool stuff in the space. Um, we don't need to control everything. You know, other people that are creating great content um, and showcasing our sports, we, I think, could do more to support them and promote them. Um, anyone that's supporting our sports, we should be a fan of. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've had some interesting discussions with events that we typically maybe haven't got behind and don't own or control, but our athletes are competing in um, and other kind of content opportunities. Um, yes, I'm sure you do. We get a lot asked a lot about, you know, drive to survive. And when are we coming up with our version of that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've got some really interesting initiatives in, in the works. I know we've touched on that a little bit, Jimmy, yeah. or uh, quite a cameraman and editor yourself. So who knows, you might be broadening out your broadcaster or podcast talent in, in different ways. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to really lean into the marketing side. And I always say kind of ideas ultimately find money and revenue. So the more creative we can get around our content marketing, um, the better. And something that we're already working hard on at the moment is kind of the, the pre-season or start of the season launch. In, in other sports, it's a really big deal. Sometimes it starts months before with a draft and then they have you know, a lot of information about the rookies and the new teams and the calendar, et cetera. And for us, um, I think we can make a much bigger deal at the start of the season um, and have that kind of drum roll rather than suddenly, oh, first events on Friday, let's tune in. You know, yeah, we, we've exactly. got to cut, we've really got to educate our audience much earlier. Yeah. Um, so you'll see uh, sort of a proper marketing plan and rollout um, leading up to the, the start of the season, which uh, Guy and the team are already working on. So that, that's sort of an example of something that hopefully um, can just elevate um, our athletes and sports in a pretty significant way. Absolutely. And that's the way also you inspire young athletes. So it's a, it's a, a positive feedback cycle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, the, I guess that brings us to the end of the interview. Um, I always leave time 
at the end for my guests to say anything they want, um, shout someone out, say an idea. Um, so the floor is yours. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank you for giving me this time. We've had a chance to get to know each other a little bit and uh, I look forward to getting to know you more. It's great to have an athlete at your stage um, doing something like this. I love to get the questions coming from a different angle and clearly you have so much respect and credibility amongst the community and rightly so. Um, and yeah, look, I'm, I'm all ears. I love to sort of share more and a little, give a little bit more insight as to maybe why we're making certain decisions. And I always learn something from conversations like these that can ultimately help me and us, us get better. So, um, yeah, keep the feedback coming. Thanks for everything you're doing, um, to elevate ski racing in particular, but snow sports in general. And, uh, yeah, look forward to chatting again soon, hopefully. Some of you may have heard of Hedda Berenson. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Regardless, it feels quite necessary to tell her story on this podcast because it is one of the coolest stories out there. Now, as is often the case, the credit on this story goes to Skiing History Magazine. This specific story was written by Amy Berg. So Hedda Berenson grew up in the 80s in Norway. She started ski jumping at eight years old. By her teenage years, she was alpine skiing during the day, running telemark courses under the lights at night, and training in moguls with her sister all summer. She got a spot at the Middlebury College team despite only starting racing at age 17. And at the end of her four years at Middlebury, buckle up, she had won a world championship in telemark skiing. She had qualified for the World Cup Alpine Circuit, and she had been Middlebury's top soccer player. So after college, her first full season in the World Cup was the 2000-2001 season. She bagged bronze in the World Champ Slalom that year. The next year, she went to the 2002 Olympics, and uh, in 2003, she was retired. She was dealing with some uh, injuries. But then she was back in a different sport. At the 2010 Olympics, in the debut of the ski cross discipline, she took the silver medal in that sport. Now, Hedda Berenson is 46 years old and living a quiet life in Norway. Just kidding. She has her PhD, she's written four books, and she still skis fist races. Like, not master's races, fist races against kids 30 years younger than her. She actually podiumed in a race last March. Boris Carey, longtime coach of the U.S men's ski team, and famously the coach of Bodie Miller through his biggest years, is a former Middlebury teammate and good friend of Hedda Berenson. He says that when people ask him who the best athlete he's ever known is, half of the time he just takes the easy way out and says, yeah, Bodie Miller. But for the other half, he'll take the time to explain Hedda Berenson's infectious enthusiasm for sports and her athletic accomplishments that have never and may never be replicated. Well, that will do it for us here today in Arc City. 
I will see you next time. Uh, now that my summer break is over, the podcast is going to start coming out with a little more regularity. I've got a couple things on the back burner, so keep your eyes peeled for Arc City content. And in the meantime, don't forget to dream about arcs. If you're on snow, make some arcs. And I will see you right back here next time. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and thank you for visiting Arc City. Arc City.